Good morning. It is absolutely a privilege to be back here with you at First Baptist on the Square and the opportunity to worship with you, to open the Word of God with you. And uh, thank you again for the privilege of being here. Glenn, I've heard of a lot of people starting it on busy times, but I don't know that I've ever heard of anybody starting on VBS week. So I think you'll have plenty to do next week for sure. So again, welcome not only to First Baptist, but welcome to Georgia. We are glad that you and your family are here and are going to be ministering with us as we reach Georgia and the world. So congratulations, I know for you and for, the, for your families with children, this is a big deal. And uh, I'm excited about that. Before I preach, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive. We thank you that it is active. We thank you that you have given it to us and preserved it for us to teach us, to correct us, to instruct us. Lord, you have given it to us to, to give us peace in the storms, direction in the wilderness. And Lord, I pray today that we would, as we open this word, that we would be informed by it, but really, Lord, more importantly, that we would be transformed by it. Lord, that we would have an encounter, not with words on a page, but the God, the author of the words on the page. Lord, we thank you. We love you. Use this time for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. I hope that I never fall out of awe of the fact that the Bible is the only book that I'll ever read, that every time I read it, that the author is sitting in the room with me, interpreting and telling me what he intended and what he was saying through that. Every other book has an author, but the author can't be there every time. But in this book, through the wonder of the Holy Spirit, the author is with us, but he's also interpreting for us exactly what he needs and wants us to know. With that said, take your Bibles, turn to the book of the Psalms, and go specifically to Psalm 16. Psalm 16 is a psalm of David. It was written by David in a season of despair. It's one of the, the psalms of desperation. And we don't really have to go far into it before we begin to realize that because David will simply say to us um, the words that he's wanting us to see and how he's wanting the direction of it to go. In Psalm 16, he begins, and I'm reading from the New King James Version. He simply starts out, Preserve me, O God. He's very to the point. Preserve me. And David often would, in his Psalms, he would write, God provide for me. God protect me. God give relief to me. God forgive me. God cleanse me. God restore me. And in this one, he simply right off the, out of the chute says, God preserve me. Interestingly, he does not tell us what he wants to be preserved from. In fact, our minds can go to a lot of places, especially those of us who have knowledge of David's life. We could say, surely he wants to be preserved from his enemies or King Saul, or he wants to be preserved from himself because he needed the Lord's forgiveness and cleansing and healing. 
but we don't know. So we have to keep on reading. He says, in this season of distress, Lord, preserve me. Watch out for me. Now, if we go on down to verse 11, before we actually look at the rest of it, we can understand some things that what David is telling us. The first thing in verse 11 as we read it, you will show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. David has said to us that there's a path. David has said to us that the destination of the path, the X on the map, you will, is God. David says there's a path. The destination to the path is God. He says that, God, you are the one who directs me, leads me down this path. And David says that this path leads to our fullness of joy. Now, I would venture to say that everybody in this room this morning, if you got up on a Sunday morning in the summer to be in church, that you have recognized that there's a path to life that you want to follow because you assembled in a Christian church, you have also recognized that the path that you want to follow is God. And because we're studying his word, his, it says what? Thy word is a lamp to my feet. Thy word is a light to my path. There's a path, it's God. There's a destination that when we get there, God is there. He guides us. And he says, and when you have me, you have me in fullness of joy. So again, David starts this psalm with just simply a petition, a prayer, a crying out, preserve me. You know, we all have the privilege, the freedom, the invitation from God to petition Him in our moments of desperation, in our moments of isolation, and even in those moments when we are just wandering and don't know where to go, God says, do to me, ask of me what David asked of me. David simply said, preserve me. He says, preserve me because um, I put my trust in you. David said, God, I am asking you to preserve me. I am declaring you are my refuge. In the way that we know that God is David's refuge, he said, because I put my trust in you. Now think about this. King David, contextually, had everything a human being could want on earth. He had power, protection, money, family, resources. He had it all. And he said, God, of all the things that are available to me, all the things that I could have in my moment of despair, I am choosing to invest all of it in you. David says, God, you are my refuge. This morning, who is your refuge? Where do you run? Who are you running to? Do you run to social media? Do you run to your favorite news channel? Do you run to the person down the street or the gathering place in town and say, oh no, what do I do? David had advisors, he said, but God, in my despair, I trust you. God, in my despair, 
you are my refuge. Now keep on. Let's go back to, to 16, to verse 1. God preserved me. You're my refuge. I put my trust in you. And then the rest of these verses, David is reminding himself. David is affirming to the Lord for all of these reasons that we're about to look at. God, all of these reasons are why you're my refuge. For all of these reasons that he's going to declare, God, you're my refuge. It's a reminder to himself, but it's also a declaration to God. It's not unlike in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and verses 6 and 7, when Jehoshaphat is faced with an overwhelming odds of, with enemies. And in verse 6 he says, O God, are you not the God of all creation? In other words, you are big God. But in verse 7 he says, you are my God. David says, God preserve me, I put my trust in you. And we're going to see, he says, I put my trust in you because you were big God over it all. But you are personal God that lives inside of me. He says that, he says in the first one, he says, God you are the sovereign Lord. Look, verse 2, O my soul, you have said to the Lord, Yahweh, I am big God. You have said to the Lord, you are my Lord, Adonai, Abba, Father. Big God who's got it all, who's personal enough to step into my life. And did you catch it? David said, oh my soul. David is speaking to that part of himself. That's the God-sized vacuum in his life. I think the last time I was with you, I told you about my mom. My mom has Alzheimer's. My mom cannot, when I go see her this week, she will not know me at all. My mother will have no idea. She knows she's supposed to know me, but she won't know me. And I'll say, Mama, how are you? And she'll say, Chris, God is good. And she'll say, I love my family. You see, my mother, through the wonder of the Holy Spirit, knows that God is good even though her mind cannot tell her that. David says, oh my soul, that part of me that only God can fill. I can't fill it with substance. I can't fill it with power, position, relationships. Oh my soul, the Lord. This morning, as you are seeking God as your refuge, when you're hurting in that place that only God can fill, oh, my soul, declare it because it's true, not because you feel like it. Because there will be times in your journey with Jesus that your words will have to be the affirmation of truth. And you say, well, what if I don't feel like it? Well, you say it and live it until your emotions catch up. Oh, my soul. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. 
My goodness. Look at it. He says there's an affirmation. <laughs> he says, you're my sovereign Lord. And then he says, you're my greatest treasure. Keep reading with me in verse 2. He says, my goodness is nothing apart from you. As for the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. You see, you are my Lord. As for the saints who are on the earth, when you would say the word Yahweh, when you would say the word Adonai, it was a, to, the, to the Hebrew mind, it was a word of theology, but it was also a word of genealogy. Because if you go back and you remember in Exodus chapter 3 and 4, when God is speaking to Moses at the burning bush, and Moses begins to say, Oh Lord, but they won't know, or what if they don't believe? And he said, I am who I am. This was a reminder to them. It was a reminder of heritage. It was a reminder of faith. It was a reminder of a promise. We just sang about it. We're in the wilderness, but I'm taking you to the promised land. Oh my Lord, you are my greatest treasure. I have no good apart from you. David understood before the words were written on a page that his righteousness was like filthy rags. David understood that apart from God, he was not. But with God, he was more than a conqueror. Oh, my Lord, you're my sovereign Lord. Oh, my Lord, you're my greatest treasure. And then he, he says something interesting. He says, the godly people... They are the ones that I delight in. They are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. David emphasizes his devotion to God by what he says about God's people. Matthew 22, 37 through 39. Jesus is having a conversation with a group of religious people. And the religious people are trying to trip him up. The religious people know that there's 613 laws in the Old Testament. And so to trip him up, they look at him and they say, Hey, Jesus, which one is the greatest? And not missing a beat, Jesus simply says, Love God. Love people. Love the Lord your God with everything you have. And the second one is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. David said, In my despair... Oh, God, I love you. In my despair, God, I'm not going to quit loving your people. It's in your people where I take my delight. This is a reminder for us. And I think right now in a day and an age of social media and email and mass connection, where we can in one swoop with a post on social media or the, all the names that we add to an email. We can say a lot. And we need to be reminded that our words need to be words of affirmation. Our words need to be words of faith. Our words need to be words of truth. Our words need to be words that pro promote unity. What's the poem? 
to live above with those we love, that will indeed be glory. To dwell below with those we know, well, that's a different story. And God said, yes, I want you to look forward to heaven. It's a reunion. He said, but on earth, what did he say? They will know you are my disciples by what? Your love for who? One another. Yeah, and David is saying, God, I'm desperate. God, this thing is going on in my life. And you're my sovereign Lord. And God, you're my greatest treasure. Then let's go to verse 4. He says, their sorrows shall be multiplied who hasten after another God. So he says, their sorrows. Well, I want to know who the the there is, the T-H-E-I-R. And he tells me at the end of the sentence, he says, their sorrows, those who go after another God, their sorrows will be multiplied. Now, that's just like in Genesis chapter 3, verse 14, 15, 16. When God is speaking to Eve in the Garden of Eden, and he looks at her and he says, in childbirth, your sorrows will be multiplied. In other words, it's not just you. Ladies and gentlemen, when I choose something other than God, Yahweh, Adonai, Abba, it's just me. It doesn't affect you. Oh, yes, it does. We don't sin in a vacuum. We sin in a community. And my relationship with God affects the entirety of First Baptist Church on the square. So that's why we say when we join a church that we're not just making a commitment to be present, but we're making a covenant to walk together. How good it is when those who walk together dwell in unity. Not uniformity. Some of you would never want to be just like me. And guess what? There are some of you I don't want to be like. Right? That's true, but it's okay, because God didn't call us to be alike. He just called us to be united. He he says, you're my sovereign Lord. He says, you're my great treasure. He says, you're my wonderful inheritance. He said, their sorrows shall be multiplied who hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood I will not offer, nor take up their names on my lips. O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lots. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. (laughs) Interesting word choice here that, that David gives us. He says, you are my portion. Well, do you remember when God was dividing the children of Israel up into 12 tribes? And he looked at 11 of them and he said, you get this place, this location, this destination, this is your boundary lines. And then Paul, he looked at the Levites and he said, you don't get anything. He said, all you get is me. You're the portion 
I'm the portion that you get, Levites. And David, who had land, David, who had possessions and people and power, he said, out of everything I have, I'm going to choose what the Levites got. I'm going to choose God. You're my portion. He says, in you I put my trust in my time of despair, and in you I put my trust as my only portion that I need. He does. He says it. Look, he goes on and he says, their drink offerings I don't want. I'm not going to put their names on my lips. Lord, you're my portion. You're my inheritance. You maintain my lot. And it's good. We sing it. It is well, it is well, it is well with my soul. Whatever my lot, you have what? Taught me to say, it is well with my soul. David says, God, I'm in despair. And I don't really know where to turn. But I'm turning to you. And you're my portion. And you're my lot. David is really living out for us Romans 8, 28, where it says that all things work together for the good of what? Those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Lord, you're my portion. You're my lot. And it's good. David is teaching us to stop and say in moments of despair, in moments of frustration, moments where we have failed or moments where we have been failed. God, these things are happening, but my eyes are on you. David says, you are my inheritance. Did I tell you all about the baby ducks when I was here one time? I don't know if I did or didn't. So we take my grandson to Tractor Supply. My grandson, my wife, looked at my grandson and said, Chase, would you like something? Yes, Gigi. Gigi's thinking T-shirt, tractor, cap, ball, shovel. Oh, it's chick season. He walks in and he says, I want a baby duck. Can't buy one. Have to buy a lot. So we leave with baby ducks. I'm going to leave them at his house. His mama said, you bought the ducks, you're taking the ducks home. <laughs> so the ducks lived in a little container, a bigger container. The ducks lived in a pen. And I wasn't planning on keeping them, so I didn't build a coop. I just built a pen. Well, then they got to where they could fly out. Then I would be chasing ducks around my yard. Those ducks were never satisfied. I don't care what I gave them, what I bought. What it, what, whatever it was, they weren't happy. And the last time that I had to chase them in the yard, into the sewer pipe in my neighborhood, I looked at my wife. I said, the ducks have got to go. So we packed them up, put them in the Rubbermaid container, cut an air hole, made it comfortable, took them to a pond that we knew very well, and we said, ducks, your new home. Those ducks are as happy as they can be because they are living where they were made to live. I can drive up, 
blow my horn, make a duck sound that I would never do in front of you right now. And they come swimming across the pond waiting for the bread that I guess they know I brought because they sure came to get it. You see, David is saying, you're my portion, you're my lot. God, I've tried to live this way. I've tried to live with power. I've tried to live with personality. I've tried to live in a relationship that didn't honor you. God, I've done all of these things, and I just can't get settled. But now, God, you're my portion. I'm learning something here. I'm living where you created me to live. He says, you are my wonderful inheritance. He said, God, in my season, I'm going to trust you because of that. But let's don't stop because he gives us another reason. that He says, I'm going to trust God. He says, I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. He says, you're a trusted counselor. God, I've come to you for advice and you never failed me. You haven't failed me yet. God, the words that you give are the words that give life. God, the words that you give are the words that give peace. God, the words that you give are the words that give wisdom. And I'm on on you, God. And so in this moment, when I don't know what to do, I'm going to look to you. God, you're the one that can, can walk me through it. He says that, my trusted counselor. Psalm 119, 24, your testimonies are my counselors. He teaches us how to walk in the way of life. So one to seven, he says, I got a problem. And here are the reasons you're the answer. Here are the reasons that I'm going to put my trust in you. But then in verse eight, He says, I have set the Lord always before me. He is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Verse 1 is a petition. Lord, preserve me. Verse 8, because he has declared his allegiance, that he has remembered who God is, because he's reminded of all the ways that God has been faithful, verse 8 is now a statement. I'm not moving. I don't care what it is. Whatever my lot. I'm with Jesus. I'm stuck on Band-Aid like Band-Aid stuck on me. I'm stuck on Jesus. Going to have bumps in the road? Absolutely. But those bumps in the road are whittling away at the things in me that don't bring glory to God. And if they don't bring glory to God, then Father, I don't want them smooth me down. Because you're good. And then verse 9, he says, therefore. Therefore, I'm in a situation. Therefore, because you have been good to me in all these ways. Therefore. Because now I have decided that my eyes are on you. He says in verse 9, therefore my heart is glad. Do you notice David's situation hasn't changed at all? Everything that was true in verse 1 is true in verse 9. 
What changed in verse 9 was the perspective of the moment. David said, I don't have to have my way. I want your way. It doesn't have to go the way I thought it ought to go. It just needs to go the way of you, God. Henry Blackaby said, don't ask God to bless what you're doing. Find what God is blessing and join him in the work. David said, I'm going to join you in this journey. God, therefore, my heart is glad. My glory rejoices. My flesh will also rest in hope. And now we understand David's despair. Look at verse 10. He says, for you will not leave my soul in Sheol. David said, God, you've been good to me in all of life. In death, don't abandon me. His despair is eternal security. His despair is, God, is all there is to life of living his life, is there anything after that? God, are you going to be with me? And he says, God, you are there. And hence, verse 11 begins to make sense. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. David asked a question. God, you've been so good to me. You've been so present to me. In life. Don't abandon me in death. And through the wonder of the relationship that we can't understand, the prophet David declares, those who put their trust in the Lord in life, here on earth, are with him forevermore. God, preserve me. Preserve me. Let me walk through this life for your glory. Let me live for eternity sharing in that glory. And he says, your pleasures are forevermore. So there's preservation and there's reconciliation. So how do we get there? How do we get to the place that we can be where David is? Is God your refuge? Is he the place you run? Is God your treasure above all other? Is God your sovereign Lord? Mama, had a dry erase board on the refrigerator. And it was not uncommon to come out for breakfast And everything that had been on the dry erase board would be gone and there would be a heart and a chair. And on the outside of the heart where the chair was, there was Jesus and me with a little magnet. And she would say, there's only room for one on the chair. Chris, who's going to sit on the throne today? And, of course, her preferred outcome was that that me would stay on the outside and that Jesus would be on the throne. And I used to think, Mama, this is the dumbest thing we do every morning. But as I have become a husband, a father, and a grandfather, 
I catch myself drawing the little heart with my grandson and saying, hey, Chase, there's a, there's a chair inside the heart. Who's going to sit on the heart? And on the throne, I'm sorry, inside the heart, on the throne. Can I ask you the same question this morning? Because what was true as, for me as a child in Dawson, Georgia, is true at First Baptist on the Square on July the 10th, 2022. Who's on the throne? You say, well, well, God. Well, first let me remind you, God can't be on the throne until you have a personal relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. Are you born again? If you're born again, are you where David was when he said, you are my sovereign Lord? See, sovereign Lord means that Exactly what Jesus prayed in the garden. Nevertheless, what? Not my will, but your will be done. First Baptist on the square, my heart, my prayer for you is that we pause to answer that question. Because probably most of you are like me. You've heard and said the answer so much that it can flow before you think. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your word, in your house together. Lord, we thank you for the freedom. We thank you for the privilege. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us that can and will instruct us on the next step that we need to take. Lord, I pray that we'll take that step wisely, boldly, humbly, but that we will absolutely take it. Lord, for some in this room today, it really is church membership. For some, it's salvation. For some, it's coming back to the place that, that says, God, you are my portion. Lord, wherever we are today, whether it's in our seat, kneeling at the altar, or publicly declaring, Lord, don't let us miss you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.